This reading is from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Begins with the 17th verse. So this comes in the Gospel of Luke. Again, he's been teaching. He has some disciples. And then uh, and then he's, he's doing a lot of healing, Jesus is. And so he, in, this, in the Gospel of Luke, then he gathers those who've been following him, his disciples, and he chooses 12 of them whom he also named apostles. So that's an interesting little twist here in the Gospel of Luke about how then they get applied this name, that the Jesus calls out of those who've been following him and calls the 12 very specifically and calls them apostles. And then they get named. And then this happens right after that. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him. For power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and weep for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Here ends the reading. How are you feeling about now? As you hear that scripture. Woe is me. Woe is me. Yeah. I mean, that kind of hits home a little bit, doesn't it? It's, it's, like, it's like the preacher went from preaching and went to meddling all of a sudden as we used to say back, you know? Like, this is a very, this is very plain speech from Jesus. And it's interesting that the whole metaphorical thing, if you want to bring that in there, this, this is called the Sermon on the Plain, whereas in Matthew, the teaching of the Beatitudes, starting in Matthew chapter 5, is called the Sermon on the Mount, because in Matthew, he goes up on the mountain to teach them. In Luke, he comes down on the plain. And notice what it says. It says he looks up at his disciples. So he is in, he is in a place where they are sort of up above him. And he's looking up. And, all, and supposedly all of these people are around him. And I missed it 
for most of the time when I was studying this passage and every time I've studied it, it, it says that they were trying to touch him because power was going out from him and everyone was being healed. So just imagine the, the situation that's going on there. You're, you're, in this, you're in this amazing sort of experience where, where people are being healed. They're being cleansed. Now, in the, in the scripture, um, oftentimes when it says un, that people were having unclean spirits, it's more of a the, often more of a theological sort of uncleanliness because, as you know, within the, within the Jewish system, you were unclean for all sorts of reasons. If you hadn't done the rituals that you were supposed to do, if you hadn't made the offerings you were supposed to make, if you worked with certain kinds of animals or if you worked with money, you were unclean spiritually. But I also think that there, that there definitely, and as, as we see right before this, Jesus did, he healed a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath day, which of course got him into all kinds of trouble but so Jesus, is, Jesus is, is healing people spiritually, emotionally, physically, all in this gathering. And so, you know, if, if you can suspend your um, post-enlightenment disbelief of healing stories and just imagine yourself in that kind of thing, that as people were coming, they're being made whole, they're being cleansed, they're being set free from things that have, that have held them back. And then all of a sudden, he looks at his disciples, and you've got to remember, this is who he's talking to. He didn't, it doesn't say that he's talked to the crowd about all of this. He's talking about those whom he had cho- who had been following him and those who he had chosen to follow him And he begins to lay this out for them. In the Gospel of Luke, there's something that we call God's preference for the poor. And that is, there's a whole theological language around that out in the world. If you, you know, if you ever, if you ever study theology, you'll find this thing called liberation theology, which talks about God's preference for the poor, and in the Gospel of Luke, it is there in spades. He, Luke really brings out Jesus' teachings that call the rich and the affluent and those who are in power to task. Because God's kingdom is not the kingdom of the earth. It is God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, things are quite different. In our earlier reading... It already starts talking about this in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is talking about how God's kingdom or living as a person who trusts in God will be different than living as someone who trusts in mere mortals. I love that. In mere mortals. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, who make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert. They shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Why would they say salt land? Well, because if you wanted to really put it on your enemies, you would sow salt in their fields because it would kill the soil and they could not bear fruit to feed themselves. Cursed are those whose trust is in mere mortals who make mere flesh their strength. How often do we go searching for what we want within the realm of what we think our power is? Our gifts, 
our abilities? How often do we seek our happiness in things that are going to bring us joy? Today, what's interesting is that um, amongst those of us who, who are quite affluent and who have lots of things, there's this whole movement to get rid of stuff, to not put our trust in our stuff, but to have less stuff and let it spark joy among us. If you know of anything, Marie Kondo, if you've heard that name before, and then now this Netflix series, which is just so acclaimed, watching her basically go into people's homes and help them declutter their stuff. What's interesting about that whole movement is what, what their people are finding is, is that they'll declutter and they'll find this sort of newfound freedom, but then six or eight months later or a year later, they pull open that drawer that they'd cleaned out and it was so beautiful and, and it's full of stuff again. It's like we have this innate desire to just fill up our empty spaces with stuff and things because we think the stuff and the things are going to make us happy, are going to be the new thing that sets us free from our worry or our anxiety. And so we go to the self-help section of the bookstore. And there are thousands upon thousands of books that will tell you how to get your life together, get your life organized, how to get in shape, how to get spiritually right, how to do all these sorts of things. But God, who sees us, who created us, who sustains us, who loves us, who knows us, reminds us all of the time that the things of this world are not what have value. It is in our relationship with God that we find our value And that then we extend that to others. That we begin to see the inherent value of each and every person around us. And we begin to see differently. We begin to see, instead of putting our trust in ourselves, mere mortals, and in our ability to create this life for ourselves, that life is really found in community with God and in community with others. Has anybody in here read uh, The Secret Life of Trees? I got my two people in here. Yep. Okay. Well, there's three of us. I encourage you to read it. It is, it's, it is, it's a fascinating book by a gentleman overseas who has spent his life in the forest. I mean, he's a, he, he works in the forestry department, and he has studied trees, and, and the way he writes about them you come to understand that, because I think we often think of these beautiful trees as these solitary things that just, just have this strength in and of themselves. You know, the mighty oak out there standing on its own. But what he, what he begins to elucidate is the fact that those trees that are planted are part of an infinite network and that they are strongest when they are together with other trees. And that in some ways, they breathe 
together. They work together. They sustain one another. And they actually, when a tree gets cut off but the stump is still there, they will send more nutrients and energy from themselves to that one that is broken down. It's a beautiful metaphor, if nothing else, for what a Christian community might be. Grounded and rooted in God and connected so intimately that we help each other live and grow like a tree planted by water. Jeremiah says that's what the one who trusts in God, whose trust is God, becomes. Connected and whose roots go out into that web to connect with other trees, to be connected to other people, to sustain others in this network and in the faith of God, in trust in God that is our soil, that is our nutrient, that is our foundation and our base so that then we can become this beloved community. These blessings and woes are not a prescription for how you get into the kingdom of God. We've often taken them that way. If you look at Matthew's gospel and the Beatitudes, some people will say, well, this is, if you behave this way, then you will be blessed. Jesus is basically saying, this is the way God sees things. This is the way God sees things. And it challenges those of us who put our trust in something other than God to think about the ways in which we do that. To think about the ways that that our brokenness comes out in the way that we live our lives. We are challenged to evaluate always what we value, what is of value to us, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our working life, how we treat those around us. This calls us to that kind of life. And that's why sometimes this kind of preaching or this kind of reading of Scripture is not very popular because I'd much rather be up here telling you, well, if you just give your life to God and if you give 10% to the church, then all of a sudden all your problems will go away. The prosperity gospel, right? That it's going to come back to you a hundredfold. And, and so if you descend to our ministry here, then it's just going to flourish in your life and you're never going to have a care again. Well, we know that, yes, when we are connected with God and rooted and grounded in faith, we are much more generous. We, we have a much different relationship with the things of this world. But we're, it, this is not a quid pro quo kind of thing. God sees us. God loves us. God gives us everything. And oftentimes what we do with that is we go searching for other things because we think it's going to make us happy. And we are rich in things, but poor in spirit. Rich in activity, but poor in love. And so these scriptures, 
We should not shy away from them. We need to dig into them because they speak to us. Jesus looks us in the eye and is speaking to us in some way, shape, or form. And I think for each one of us, that may be different. Each one of us needs a different kind of challenge from God in order to evaluate our lives and begin to see where it is that we can put ourselves, the things that we might do, the things that we might be, the things we might confess of, so that we might become more rooted and grounded in God like a tree planted by water. Because Jesus never said, come and follow me and your life will be easy He said, come and take up your cross and follow me. There is a cost to this discipleship. It is not going to be easy. But you can live into a life which you have never imagined. A life filled with love and grace and hope in such a way that goes beyond anything material that we could ever have that goes beyond anything that we might be able to create materially. And that is the life that we are invited into, is this new life in Christ. So may this challenge us to think about the ways in which we remain idolaters and we place our hope in mere mortals and in mere material things. May this challenge us to look at the ways that we live and give and love that we might become rooted and grounded in God, connected in that network of God's love and hope in such a way like a tree planted by water that we might produce the fruits of faith, of love, of patience, of kindness, of salvation and joy for all people. Amen.